Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. <laughs> Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, is a Tell Del Tuesday, and that's the opportunity for me to share uh, the experiences with Lifestyles members uh, with you. The concept behind this is the same as like the case study that we're going to be having, uh, is basically this, is that you need to hear from other people like yourself. Now, the problem is there's many, many different people out there, and so you can't relate. You can't relate with just what I've done in my life. You can't relate with this person or that person. You need to find somebody you can relate with. So I bring all different kinds of people on here with different types of stories, different personalities, because you want to be able to listen to someone and go, that person's just like me. If they can do it, I can do it too. So today we've brought on an individual that's been with us for a long time. Uh, this individual is a very smart individual, but he took a long time to get going into the process, elected to work his way around the fringes, and then eventually jumped all the way in and took off. With me today here is Steve Tennyson out of Houston, Texas. Steve, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Different kind of story, Steve. I've known you for a long time. <laughs> 2004, you kind of just like snuck in, quiet kind of guy, got involved in a deal. Why don't you tell us uh, about yourself before you came to Lifestyle so we get a little base from where you're working from to get into all this? Yeah, uh, well, before I got into Lifestyles, I was uh, an electrical and computer engineer, got my degree at uh, UT Austin and was uh, working in high tech for like 13 years. But uh, what I found about high tech is, it's, at least in my branch, it was really volatile. So I was I was changing jobs every you know year and a half or so, and uh, eventually I just got tired of it. Especially when you know one company I was working for went bust just unexpectedly, totally out of the blue. The boss said, "Hey, you should take your things home this weekend because we won't be able to get back into the building on Monday." <laughs> and. Uh, and, and that, that and, a, and a boss who I had difficulty working with kind of primed me to, to look for something new, something different in my life that was a little more, a little more stable uh, and, a little, and definitely more fulfilling. Well, you came in 2004. What did you think when you came to the two-day? What was the aha moment for you? Wow. Really, it was just that everything that I was hearing made sense. 
And, and, and I'll admit that before I went to the two-day, I'd done a little research on you, Dell. I, uh, I looked you up on the tax records and found your properties. <laughs> and I, I drove by just to make sure they existed. Um, are you yeah, the guy? Are you I, the guy that sent me an email one time that said I see you own a condo or something, or you you own one little eight hundred nine hundred square foot home? How can you be rich? I didn't understand that was one of a hundred homes. Oh no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I I actually found I found the Candlelight properties out on uh, out on Pinemont, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, the guy's for real. You know that it, the tax people say uh, Dell owns it, so he must be the real guy. <laughs> and. Um, and so when I went to the two-day, I already had some faith established by my, by my research. And then just everything that you taught, it just made sense. Like, you know, the numbers made sense. The business model made sense. I really appreciated the, the support that you guys were saying, you know, was there because I, I needed it. You know, as an engineer, we don't know anything about business. You know, we don't know anything about accounting. We know numbers. We know, we know you know, computers and junk like that. But this is totally different for me. So I appreciated hearing that that support would be there for me. So uh, I, I went through the two-day, and at the end of it, I, I signed up. I became a preferred member right away. After you came out of the two-day, what was your plan? Uh, obviously, you oh, became I, a passive investor, but what was your plan? Well, I didn't have a plan. Uh, uh, at first, I thought I was going to go buy a bunch of rent houses because I wanted, I wanted to retire. I wanted what everybody wants was enough passive income to, to potentially you know, quit my job. And because I'm an engineer, I did all this analysis to find out how many rent houses I needed. Then it was like dozens. <laughs> and and so I came to you and I said, Dell, I you know how am I supposed to buy all these rent houses while I'm working a full time job and I got a family and I got a you know a new baby and all this stuff? And you said, Don't do it. You'll you'll go crazy or get fired or both. And uh, and so you told me to go ahead and, and invest passively in somebody else's deal and grow my grow my uh, my equity that way. So that someday I would be able to go, you know, do my own deal, and and that's what I did, and it worked fabulously. Now it's interesting when you first started uh, looking for a deal. Were you looking for a deal, or were you looking for the lead investor? Which one was more important to you? Oh, I was looking for a lead, uh, and, and at the time, uh, there's uh, Emory Jacob. He was he had just finished up his his first deal and was about to go do number two, and he had done a lot of cool new things that we had never seen in lifestyles. You know, big renovations, uh, big value increases, uh, non-recourse financing, all that stuff was new at the time. So I was excited to go invest with him. So that's what I did. The actual deal that he had, of course, I had a chance to look at it and analyze it. But really, it was talk with my faith and memory more than anything else. Yeah, and you got into really, you got in with two of probably the top 10 investors we've had in the group. Uh, Definitely two of the top 10 most aggressive investors we've had in the group. And uh, really the foundation to what we do is uh, nailed down to these first 10 or 15, 20 guys and gals that just hammered it. I mean, they just nailed it. And you got in on the front end of all that, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, I got in on on Emory's second deal that he ever did. And then... uh, I was actually going to do a second deal. Uh, I was going to do my own deal and ended up investing in Ira Gross's first deal because Emory actually introduced me to Ira. And I figured, well, if Emory is as good as he is, surely he would recognize another, you know, uh, excellent potential lead. And he did. Ira turned out to be phenomenal, an excellent operator and a wonderful guy. And so I invested in all of his deals, every every one of them. Yeah, he was a great guy, no doubt. Uh, let him rest in peace now. Uh, he went way too soon. Yeah. As you went through this, Steve, um, 
Tell us what your thought processes were. Um, I, I, your story is different in that you took a long time to process <laughs> yourself through, yet at the same time, which is really strange, and I'm trying not to overburden you with too much commentary, but it's hard for you. What I was always wondering was you were always in there. You were at, most passives don't go to the property. They don't look at the books. I think they had you out counting quarters out of the washing machines at one time. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> you were you were like insanely active in all this, and yet you didn't become a lead for many, many years after. Tell us, what was the thought process there? Well, I mean, I, I invested as a passive with Emory just because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the time to go do my own deal. And then I met Ira, and we became friends and invested in his first deal. And so now I have two streams of passive income plus some other investing that I was doing, and I had enough money to retire. It was by a slim margin, but nonetheless, and my wife was working. So we went to Ireland for a year. She was able to get grant money to do some research over in Ireland, and we just took off. So, of course, why go do my own deal when, you know, I've, and I, and I had made that as a promise to my wife before we got married, that if we had kids, we would spend a year out of the country just so they could have a, a, uh, you know, just a, a more multicultural view of the world. And then when I came back from Ireland, I just kept working with Ira. We bought, uh, we refinanced his first deal and we put all the proceeds into the second deal, refinanced the second deal, put all the proceeds into the third deal and did the same thing and got into the fourth deal. And really, I just kind of fell into a role that seemed comfortable and productive, and it was certainly paying well. By the time I was in all those deals, I had $100,000 in passive income. If I wasn't working for IRA, I would still have all that money you know, coming in every, every month, every year. So I was, I was happy. I was comfortable. I, I didn't have to go be a lead, but it's kind of what I had joined Lifestyles to do in the first place. Let's take a break right there. We're going to be right back with yeah. Steve Tennyson, the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will be back in a moment. But first, this intel from the files of Dell Wamsley. I believe everything should be balanced in life. That's what Libras try to do. We try to balance ourselves out. Very problematic or being successful. Because success doesn't work at level. Level doesn't make you number one. You can't be number one and be level. Why? A couple of theories that are really important. Let's start with this one. You can have anything you want in life, but you cannot have everything in life. God has given you the resources in the universe. God has given you the mental ability, the educational ability to learn whatever you need to learn, to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish and have whatever you want to have. But you can't have it all. So, well, why not, Dell? Why can't I have it all? Because there's not enough time in the day to have it all. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. 
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today is Steve Tennyson out of Houston, Texas. Steve Tennyson is a lead investor. However, he's been a successfully retired passive investor for many years. As we went to break, we were talking about him deciding to go from passive to lead. Steve, let's talk a little bit about, though, before we get into the lead deal and situation that you're in now, let's talk a little bit more about the passive investments. I'm quoting off of your... Um, fact sheet right here. When I joined Lifestyles, my net worth was 250,000 bucks with an income of 150 grand a year. Then we paid lots of taxes, but in 2016, which was 12 years after you joined up, my family's net worth was 4.5 million with an income of 300 grand a year, 100,000 of which was passive, and we paid almost no taxes at all. That's incredible. <laughs> Tell, explain to everybody how you compounded your wealth like that, because I think they'd all like to know. It sounds like 250000 to a million is incredible, but 250000 to $4.5 while you don't have a job is just <laughs> mind-boggling. Try to, if you can, explain to people the mathematics behind this. Well, it's, it's kind of like what my mom does. My mom, when she had more money than she knew to do as she bought a CD. And when she had too much money in the CD, she would buy another CD. And then when she had more money, she'd buy another CD. And I did that, too, except I did it with real estate. And so I, I got into this first deal with Ira. I put in $260,000 because that's what I had. I put everything, everything I had into that one deal. I put all my eggs in one basket. And when that deal refinanced, that money came back out. It was 100% refi. And what did I do? I put all of that money back into Ira's second deal. And then when the second one refinanced, I got into the third deal. The third deal refinanced, I put the money back into the fourth deal. So really, it was that first investment where I took everything I had. That is the money that bought all four of those deals and gave me 100000 in income a year. That's just amazing. It's amazing. If you want to calculate the cash-on-cash cash return on that, what what is it? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars in, and then a hundred grand out per year. What is that? <laughs> it's about thirty three percent or something like that. It's quite a bit. A forty percent return. Yeah, about forty yeah. percent. Yeah. So, in doing this, one of the key characteristics that came about was this notion, this concept that Emery brought in that you can go out there and you can up the value of the property and instead of like in the traditional way that we started thirty years ago. We'd buy them, we'd hold them, we'd rent them, we'd make money. And when they got to be too small for us, we'd sell them. But Emery came in, he bought it, he renovated, he increased the value, and then he refinanced out the profit, the equity 
the newfound equity yeah. out of the deal, which people have to understand that if we refinance you out 250,000 bucks, because that's what you put in and we give it back to you, you still have $250,000 in the deal. So in essence, you now have $500,000 worth of net worth, the 250 cash we just gave you and the 250,000 was in the deal. We didn't give you back your 250 you put in. And that's the part they need to understand. So if you take that 250 yeah. and then you do it again, that 250 becomes 500 more. Now you've got 750, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, if you're doing two of those at the same time, you're going from 500 to a million, you know, and all this done over a period of time. Now, one thing is, remember, you've, this is a 12-year process for you. This is not an overnight story, but an overnight story it doesn't need to be to go from $250,000 to $4.5 million. So that's an excellent situation. Now, I yeah. want to ask you a personal question that I don't know that you can even answer. I, I think you can answer it if you give it in shades of gray. And that is, what happened in the family unit as all of this staying home stuff? I've heard people, I had a wife come to me one time. She goes, look, I married him for better or for worse, but not for him to be there all day long. <laughs> and there's a lot of, there's, there's sometimes pressure put on families when the husband becomes the housewife, the house husband, and the wife's still going to work. So she's working, 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 you know, the struggle. And you're at home having a great time. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just throwing th ideas out there for people to think about what are the struggles of actually becoming successful? They're out there. You're living this great life. You've got your time with your kids now and so forth. You've got your college taken care of for your kid. So you've got this going on. In gray, can you tell us what kind of struggles or pressures got created? Well, and, and I must admit, Del, I was a terrible passive investor. I mean, I was good as, as far as, you know, returns, but I didn't stop working. When I quit my engineering job, I retired from engineering. All I did was go to work for Ira, and, uh, and he eventually made me his director of operations of his management company. So for whatever reason, I mean, I've, I'm like my dad. When my dad retired, he stayed busy. When I retired, I went to work for Ira. I just feel like I have to be working to feel worthwhile. But um, as far as the, the relationship issues, my ex-wife, if you look at the back of her car, she has three bumper stickers. Two of them are endorsing Bernie Sanders. And the other one says, uh, there should be no such thing as billionaires. Wow. So she, yeah. So I was doing all this cool stuff with capitalism. And in the meantime, she was uh, hoping that it would all just go away and be replaced with a, a socialist model. And I, that rubbed her the wrong way a lot. <laughs> so, Man. And to the point where when I bought my own apartment complex, I said, honey, I own the place. You, you, let's go look at it. And she didn't want to go look at it. I, I literally had to drive her by it when I told her we were going somewhere else just so she could see the property. Okay, so it really had no, well, it did have something to do with it. the fact that you were becoming a capitalist and she was a socialist-based mentality. They yeah. just, oil and water, huh? it just doesn't mix. Yep, yep. And so there again, you know, I, being rich is not a part of my family's mentality. You know, my dad was a sailor. My mom was a secretary. When I told my mom I joined your real estate club, she says, oh, I'm so sorry for you, honey. They just took your money. And, and I can't tell you how satisfying it was when I took a picture of the first two distribution checks I got from, from two different deals I was in, and I sent it to her, and I said, do you still think I'm being uh, lied to, cheated, or whatever? 
Wow. That's tough. We'll take a break on that one, Steve. We're going to come back after a short break with Steve Tennyson and the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Now more intel from the files of Del Wamsley. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything. So how can you be totally happy? It's impossible to be totally happy because you can't have everything. Why can't you have everything? Because it takes time to have anything. And if your time's spent doing this, then your time can't be spent doing that. People come to me all the time and go, Del, um, I'm this age. 30, 40, 60, 70 years old. And up until now, I've not had time to worry about my finances. And now I think it's the right time of my life to start worrying about it. What it really is saying to me is that I've spent all of my time doing something else. And maybe that something else was raising my children to 18 years of age to get them away to college. Uh, maybe it was the three wives I had and, you know, I was going through relationships and trying to figure relationships out. Maybe it was I was a workaholic at my job and, you know, I did really well at work. And then now work is not fulfilling or they let me go because I'm too old. And now I've got time. You know, when you go to the answer, why don't you do more? You have to fight with do more what? So I have three or four hobbies along with the need to develop my fitness and or maintain my fitness, a relationship that takes a tremendous amount of time. If you really want a relationship, you got to work at it. It's not easy. You can't just have it sit off to the side over there and be a part of your life. Hey, let's go in the closet and get my relationship for me, would you please? By the way, that was the way I did my first two marriages. It was I was so what's so determined to be successful financially, determined to be successful physically as an athlete that the relationship was the third thing. We'll be right back with the Del Wompton Radio Show. Dana Carvey and David Spade here. You might know our podcast, Fly on the Wall. We decided to do a spinoff called Superfly, and it's fun. It's just two of us riffing on current events, pop culture. Maestro <laughs> is an Oscar-nominated movie Bradley yeah. Cooper's in, and I'm sure it's a perfect, quality, well-done movie, but it looks a little boring. Honestly, I fell asleep during the billboard. <laughs> Listen to and follow Superfly on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Talk 1370, the right choice. Some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today on Tell Dell Tuesday is Steve Tennyson out of Houston, Texas. Steve's been a member for a long time, since 2004. He's been a part of many, many deals and has worked not only uh, as a passive investor, but he's also worked with some of the top leads uh, as their assistants in the business of creating the business. At some point along the way, though, Steve, you've got the bug. Something happened. You decided to go out on your own. You'd had, you know, good life, making lots of money and not being in a position where you had to be the person fully in charge. What changed? Why did you change your mind, decide to become a lead investor other than that was your original decision 12 years earlier? Yeah, I mean, it was a goal I had set for myself and uh, unaccomplished goals irritate me. <laughs> so I had that itch to scratch. But also just because I had been at this point in five other people's deals, and I saw all the work that they did to make me, you know, uh, you know, have all this passive income. So I felt like I wanted to give back to the community, uh, especially because I had worked with Ira all this time. And I would learned, you know, from, from Emory, I felt like I had all these useful tools that I could use to, to put to work in the community and help other people achieve their goals. And what did you decide was your ideal property? What were you looking for when you started searching? Well, I was, I, at, at that time, I had, you know, about $4.5 in net worth. And so I was looking for a deal that would match 
that net worth and my personal liquidity so I could qualify for the loan without having to have a key principal. Uh, I wanted to be the, the one and only guy signing on the note. Uh, and also, I wanted it to be big enough that I wouldn't be the guy running the, the property, you know, signing leases, uh, you know, plunging toilets or whatever. <laughs> I wanted a property that's big enough that would support a full-time staff because I wanted to be the, the owner, not the, not the manager, not the maintenance guy. And how did you find uh, Mirabella? Oh, it was, um, I mean, of course, I talked to brokers like everybody does, but ultimately it was at an acquisition road trip there at Lifestyles. Uh, about once or twice a month, you guys bring deals that are just out there, and, and members can can pursue them. And uh, this one came up, and it was it was perfect. It was a, it was the right size, it was the right price, it was in a location that I that I do something about because my my daughter went to ele- elementary school in the neighborhood, so I knew it was a good opportunity, and I and I uh, and that was what I ended up buying. When you went after the property. In fact, I might have stepped this out of order, so we may have to bring it back in line with order. But did you first go find your passive investors to go with you, or did you first go find the property and then go looking for the passive investors to invest with you? <laughs> okay, so you know I've been a member for a long time, and you know how deals used to get done, right? Leads used to go find their investors first. And, uh, and I had folks who actually gave me deposits to be in my next deal, and then I found the deal. And, and some people wanted out, and I gave them back their money. But uh, I think these days it doesn't work quite like that. <laughs> yeah, we had to turn it around because, you know, some people took advantage of that situation. They'd hold people's money, yeah. never find a deal, and then, you know, piddle the money away yep. trying to build a business. So, yeah, there, we changed there that. There was potential for abuse there. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, you got it done. Did you have enough already in your coffers as far as lined up for investors to do this deal, or did you have to go fill a few slots? Well, you know, when I actually had the deal and I was getting close to closing, I had a, a couple of people get nervous, get cold feet, and they bailed out. But I had other people on a, on a waiting list, and they stepped right in, and so I was able to fund the deal. So this was really easy to slide through. What did you see about the property that you liked as far as the potential in it? Primarily the location. Uh, This property is located just north of Garden Oaks in Houston. And uh, those folks that know Houston, Garden Oaks is like, it's a beautiful neighborhood. Uh, They've got Garden Oaks Elementary, which is one of the few Montessori schools in Houston. Uh, So this whole neighborhood is growing. There's a lot of new businesses coming in, a, a lot of houses being built. And so I knew there would be a lot of uh, natural appreciation uh, to the value of the property just by owning one here. Yeah, I know exactly where it's at. I mean, I've owned maybe five apartment complexes in that same area right there. Yeah, your places are literally walking distance from mine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this uh, 100-unit property, actually 98, I think, isn't it? Something like that. Close enough, Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a little bit older, wasn't it? Wasn't that a 60s construction, if I remember right? 50s. It was built between 1958 and 1963. There we go. I do seem to remember being older than the stuff that I had. What kind of renovations did you do to bring this thing to our standards, lifestyle standards? Probably the biggest thing that I did, which was recommended by my my mentor, Curtis Haynes, 40 of the apartments were being uh, heated and cooled by window units. And they were terrible. Nobody loved them, not even the maintenance guys. They were a very poor way to, to cool those apartments. And uh, he said, you have to get rid of those air conditioners. You will never be able to upgrade this property until they're gone. And I did. So I took 40 apartments that had window units and converted them all to central air. 
Wow, that that's was, amazing. That was it was a huge deal, especially because there was no place to put the condensers. Exactly. Uh, and so, right, and I didn't want to put them on the roof because nobody loves that. It makes your property look bad, also. So I uh, I found a way of, of hanging them from the walls using brackets made out of Unistrut, and and that got them off the ground, but not on the roof. And my maintenance guys can still work on them because uh, they're not that high off the ground. And uh, oh, and the city, of course, uh, they, they we we checked with them. They said it was okay, and we got it fully inspected and approved. Were we able to put the furnace unit? Was there a closet inside you used, or nope? <laughs> so in in some of them, there was a, like a, a hallway between like the living room, the bathroom, and the bedroom, and we had to we we lowered the ceiling and put a a ceiling mount air handler there. And gotcha. then for other for other apartments, there was like a little like a little towel closet in that same hallway, and it was just wide enough to stick a to stick a fur a, what do they call it a, a fur down? No, not a fur down. The fur down's uh, one in the towel. ceiling. Yeah, yeah. But this is the one you stick in the between the stud. Right. Uh, and so we we found a way to stick them in, and then once they were in there, we had to run new electric, new freon lines, new thermostat wires. And all the breaker boxes for those units had to be upgraded because the service wasn't big enough to handle the load. Plus, all those old breaker boxes were Federal Pacific, and they were so rusted you could squat down and look up into the box. The lid no longer covered the hole. <laughs> wow. So those all had to go. That's a massive rehab right there. Ducting, you had to put in ducting too, didn't you? We had to put in the ducting. We, uh, we had a, a construction guy that was recommended by my HVAC guy and he went in and built new ducts. And the amazing thing is, I asked my residents, I said, if you, would you be willing to allow me to tear your apartment completely apart for two weeks to give you central air conditioning? Would you be okay with that? And they said, yes. We love your property. We love the neighborhood. We hate that air conditioner. Get it out of here today. <laughs> no doubt. And, and the whole project, we only had one lady complain because, you know, there's always one. Wow. What else did you do? Because, I mean, that's an old property. Did you do any interior upgrades? We did a lot of interior upgrades, and probably the easiest and most impressive one, and this is, this is stupid because it's so cheap, we stopped using glossy white paint everywhere. I mean, every, everywhere you look, the, the, the ceilings, the, the walls, the trim, everything was glossy white. And because my property is 60 years old and I got all these old sheetrock repairs, they look terrible. <laughs> and so I came in and I picked a, uh, a, like a beige that Ira was using on all of his properties and, uh, and kind of a satiner and eggshell sheen. And that was my wall paint. Uh, the ceilings went flat. And we replaced a lot of the, the, the trim, just the floor trim, and painted that white. And the, the, the result is like night and day. It took 20 years off of the, the age of my property. <laughs> And all it took was a coat of paint. No doubt. I can see that. In those units, the kitchens were pretty small. What did you do to the kitchens? A lot. And even, like, during my due diligence, I had no idea how beat up my cabinets were. Some of them were literally falling apart. So we did a lot of work in the cabinets. We would either put new doors, repair them. In some cases, we had to replace them so that we would have functional cabinets in the kitchens. The, the countertops were mostly okay. We would resurface those with a really hard resurfacing paint that makes them, they look like new. They look wonderful, actually. We would put new uh, door pulls on the cabinets. The appliances were bad. We'd put in new appliances. And that was it, really just taking what we had 
and just bringing it back to a better standard of maintenance. All right, very good. We're going to take a break right there. We'll be right back with Steve Tennyson and the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Now, Intel from the files of Dell Wamsley. Have you ever seen one of the magicians where they take pool sticks and they put plates on them and spin them? And they work at trying to get the most number of plates they can up, and they have to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Does that guy have a life? He doesn't have a life. If he were to maintain those five plates spinning at all times, would he be successful? Very successful as a plate spinner, very successful as a human being, but he'd have no life. It's only by realizing you've got to put the plates down that you can never succeed at something else. And so the definition, the very definition of why don't we do better than we do is a ridiculous concept when I thought about it because we do what we can do. So what's the difference? It's not what it costs to obtain things. It's what it costs to maintain things. We'll be right back with the Del Wompton Radio Show. Talk 1370. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today uh, is Steve Tennyson from Houston, Texas. And Steve, um, as we come back to the break here, let's talk a little bit about the financial situation on this deal you did. What kind of prices are we looking at that you purchased this for? And uh, this was 2017, so this is three years ago, just to get perspective. This is 50s construction. What kind of price per door did you pay for something like this? Uh, it was about 52 a door. Okay. And in totality, what percent down did you have to put down on buying something like this? We actually got the, the rehab money wrapped into the loan. So percent of purchase price, our loan was like 83%. So we put the rest down. Okay. Uh, now let's, let's go one step backwards here. At 52 Adora, what did you, how much did you put in for rehab then? Total rehab amount that you brought into the deal for rehab? Well, initially it was, what was it, like five or 600000 it's about five, $6,000 a door. Yeah, which seems like a lot, except a whole no. lot of that went into the air conditioners. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a lot for 50s construction. Don't, don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> and I will confess that I, I did pitch low on the rehab, and I regret that now. I should have raised at least another half million to get this property to where it really belongs. Yeah, I would have seen, I would have guessed just, you know, if you're taking just, let's spitball something, I would have spitballed 10 grand a door yeah. on something this age, just because you're, you've got different issues. You've got structural issues like the air conditioning stuff, which is just off the normal. That's not normal budget type stuff, right? right I mean, right. replacing the units might be one thing, and that might fall within a four to $5,000 range, but installing units where they're not, that's a different <laughs> animal. In fact, can you give us any idea what did it cost to install one unit? I think at the time, the going rate for, for ACs was about 1800 bucks a system if you were like swapping out the old stuff, putting in the new stuff. And I was paying more like 4000 Well, that's not bad even, actually. Back then, it seemed like a lot. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't trading out units, man. You were doing a lot more. Just the electrical boxes that's themselves, right. pulling a wire. Because you got to go back with new wire. There's no wires heavy enough. you got to go back new breaker box. Do you have electrical stoves or gas stoves? Well, that's what helped me. I have gas stoves. Because I have gas stoves, I didn't have that much load from from that appliance. And it, it helped me, you know, be able to squeeze all the air conditioners in without overloading the entire building. 
Yeah, I understand. I totally understand. It's one thirty watt breaker less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that adds up fast. So there's there's no doubt. So we've got we've got some money in this thing now. Let's talk about rates of return, or if not rates of return, if we can't actually come down to a rate of return, let's talk about what the NOI was, what it is today. If we can go there, let's talk a little bit about what the cash flow was and what it is today, if we can go there. Can you give me any kind of indication on those things? I'm going to like talk in broad generalizations here. That's um, fine. I, I, I have been advised by my tax protester to not make his job more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but when we did come in, we were able to raise rents pretty substantially because of the upgrades that we were able to do inside and on the outside. That would just be market rent, right? However, we've had some things going on at the property beyond our control that kept us from being able to really drive occupancy up. And so pretty much for every leasing season that I've owned this property, something has gone wrong that has driven occupancy down eight, nine. And in, in the case of COVID, it drove our economic occupancy down like 16%. Although our market rents are going up, it was a, it was a, a pretty big struggle to get actual NOI up. And we, we are up now because we're full. We're finally getting those, those higher market rents at a very low economic vacancy. So let's just discuss how much how much increase in rent, just a round number. Fifty bucks a unit, a hundred bucks no, a unit. More. At least a hundred. Okay. And also what, what complicates this is the previous owner, they were charging back some utilities and not all of them. And when I got into the deal I realized that wasn't really working. It was too confusing to my market and we just went to all bills paid. That plus the city of Houston seems incapable of generating a correct water bill for me, so you can't really bill that back. So it's, it's hard to really judge how rents have grown because I've lumped a bunch of, I've, I lumped the utilities back into the rent, which made it look like it went up, but not as much as you might think. I understand. But a, a hundred bucks would be a good guess. <laughs> and that's including throwing the utilities back in on it? No, actually, probably it's more than a hundred now that you put it that way. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to pin you down so hard that you, you can say something you don't want to say, but I'm just trying to look and see if it was profitable venture in the, in the long run. I know that the neighborhood, the area is improving. The rents and the values have gone up quite a bit. I think the properties I owned over there have doubled or tripled in value since I've let them go. So yeah. um, I got out before everything went crazy. At this point right now, so I'm just going to thank you for coming on and thank you for being a member for a long time and helping and being involved in all the things you've been involved in here and look forward to you reaching the rest of your goals. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I think you're going to get another property eventually sometime. I am. I'm about to refinance and give my investors just about all their money back. So it's time to go buy another one. All right. Great. Uh, good luck on that. And for the rest of you out there, keep this in mind. Steve Tennyson got there. I got there. A lot of people got there. We didn't get there for just some money. It's for the lifestyle. Now more intel from the files of Del Wamsley. My dad's taught me some really important points in life, although my dad was never financially successful. He was never physically successful. He just wasn't successful. But man, he had some ideas and theories that were just over the top, really good ideas. He said that you don't own things, things own you. When I had physical fitness, when I was a bodybuilder, I didn't own a physically fit body, a perfect chiseled uh, Grecian looking male specimen. I didn't own that, it owned me. What do I mean by that? I had to work out an hour or two a day, five, six days a week. I couldn't eat, I had to eat a certain way, I had to drink a certain way. 
I had limitations. It took up my time. It took up my finances to buy the stuff that I needed to be able to eat and drink and train the way I needed to. And the supplements. It owned my life. And at about 34 years of age, I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to be a competitive athlete anymore. I can't do this. Why? Because I have no life. And I realized that. I had no life. When I was working 12 hours a day, six days a week for corporate America, I was very successful in my own mind, by the way, as a business person. I did well in the company I worked at, but I had no life. And one day I woke up and said, I can't do this anymore. Why? I have no life. And that's when I started investing in real estate and creating passive streams of income to be able to buy my way out of corporate America. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past your podcasts, and join the conversation. Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.